two, one. Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. Today I have a special guest with me, Miss Heather Ross. Miss Heather Ross does something very special in the world. Um, she has dealt with a family member, an actual child that has had an addiction. Addiction is something that's very close to home to me being from West Virginia. We have a, a opiate problem and we have an opiate problem all over Appalachia or basically we'll say the whole Atlantic coast, basically it's everywhere, but Miss Ross. Oh my God. Drop. Hello. I'm sorry about that. I'll edit that part out. That's okay. Yeah. I heard you get to one. That was it. Okay. So I didn't hear anything after that. All right. So I'll just do it again. Hold on. It doesn't matter. Um, and that's the cool thing about podcasts. We can just edit it. All right. Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. Today, I have a very special guest, Miss Heather Ross. Miss Heather Ross is a life coach, and she has a child that has dealt with addiction. Um, being from West Virginia, we have a very, very bad opiate problem. We have a bad addiction problem. And with her being a guest today, she can shed some light on some things that can help you out. And she has a program. She has a way of life. She has a way to help you cope and deal with addiction and being a, a caretaker or a parent to someone that um, has addiction. So, Miss Ross, you have the floor. Please tell us about yourself. Well, thanks for having me on today. This is such an important topic because there are so many parents who are struggling with a child's addiction or just anybody struggling with a loved one's addiction. And, you know, when my daughter, she started struggling with addiction when she was 13, but I didn't know until she was 14 or 15. But when that first started happening, I just felt very alone. I wasn't talking to people about it. And even though I had had some experience with a 12-step program, I just really didn't know what to do to help her. And so it just seemed like everything that I was doing was making things worse and it was pushing her farther away from me. And it was, you know, starting to affect my health and my happiness. And it was really affecting the whole family. And so, you know, I would just search and search for resources and I really couldn't find what I was looking for. Nothing was resonating with me. And so once I was able to figure this out for myself, I knew that I had to figure out a way to start helping other parents who had a child that was struggling with addiction. Okay. So after you found that your daughter had an addiction problem, what was the first step after that? Like, what did you do after you found that out? Like, what did you do to help her? The wrong thing that I did or the right thing? <laughs> both, both things. All right. So I'll start with, you know, of course, I think that most parents react the same and their initial reaction is to try to control their child, try to see, um, you know, fix the problem and fix them and thinking that, okay, if I can just get them to stop, then everything will ba go back to normal again, which is the approach that I took to it. But the more I tried to control my daughter, the more she would just, you know, exercise her ultimate control, which was just running away. 
you know, she was refusing to be controlled and I was pushing her farther away from me and I was dragging her from doctor to doctor and just trying to do anything that I could to get things back to normal again. I, I used to say it was like playing that game whack-a-mole, you know, where all the moles pop up in the different holes and you're trying to hit them all. And that was what it felt like. Just every time I would address one area of her addiction, then something else would pop up. And I spent years doing that, taking her to all these different doctors, trying to control her and just so focused on her that I wasn't even taking care of myself at all. And my health got really bad and I wasn't looking at all of the things that her addiction was really a symptom of. I didn't understand why she was using and, uh, you know, it took a lot of pain for me to get to a place where I just kind of relinquished control of her and started focusing on myself. And it wasn't until I started really focusing on myself that things started to change. And it was a process. I mean, it's, it takes time and consistency, but I had to focus on myself and I had to focus on my recovery so that... I was, you know, leading by example of the life that I wanted her to live. So I wanted her to be healthy and happy, but I wasn't healthy and happy. You know, I was spending all of my time focused on her, but I wasn't taking care of myself. So I had to start setting that example. And initially I was only doing it for her. And it was just another way for me to control her initially, but eventually I started doing it for myself and that's when things really started to change for me. That's when she could actually see the difference in me and our relationship started getting better and her addiction had to play out. I had to allow her to be who she was. I had to figure out how to have boundaries and have a relationship with her so I could maintain that connection. I had read this study, um, from Portugal and how they dealt with their opioid epidemic and how they had decriminalized it and they were sending people to rehab and they were really focused on connection within the community. And that just kind of, that became my word for my relationship with her was connection. So keeping that connection with her without enabling her addiction and just going on this journey of educating myself, finding what really resonated with me and really understanding addiction so that I wasn't so, initially I was just angry at her. I wanted it to stop. I wanted it to go away. And then I felt guilty because I was angry <laughs> and it would just set off this um, chain of events. And I never felt good about how I was showing up as her mom because up until then, I could always fix whatever came up, you know, you fall, you skin your knee, here's a bandaid. And this wasn't like that. And so I had to really go through a process of educating myself and finding out what resonated with me, what sounded right to me. Because another thing is there's just so much misinformation out there. So many misunderstandings because it's such an emotional issue that, um, you know, it was just working on my mental health, working on my physical health, educating myself, and then, you know, choosing each next step as I went trying to figure out how I could make myself whole again. 
and really just be an example of that sober life that I wanted her to live. Okay, so your daughter sees a sober life. You've gone through and you've done a whole 360 on yourself. You've changed your, basically, it's like almost dyeing your hair and getting a whole new identity, correct? Basically. So you you go do these things and your daughter sees you in a new light. So when your daughter sees you in this new light, how does she take that in? What does she do with what you, what you become? Well, it totally changed our relationship. And this was a process that happened over a couple of years. It did not happen overnight. So it was work. I don't want to make it sound like, oh, it's just easy. It was work. I had to work on myself and I had to stay committed. And it's very similar to the way, you know, somebody who gets sober has to stay committed to their sobriety. They have to keep working at it. Like we have to keep working at our health too. But she went from initially, our our relationship was not good. She did not like me. She didn't want to have anything to do with me to she started coming around we started spending time together we started creating that connection repairing our relationship and having as much of a relationship as we could have considering where her addiction was and while that was happening she was on her own path her addiction was playing out she went from you know initially she started using um you know she was drinking and smoking pot and Um, you know, like taking Xanax and stuff like that to where at the end she was using heroin and meth, but I had to just allow her to do those things, love her anyway, have boundaries to protect myself and our relationship. But she would start telling me like, mom, I'm really proud of you. I see the changes that you're making in your life, wanting to spend more time with me creating that connection. So when she was ready to get sober, that she would feel safe to call me to say, I'm ready to get sober and know that she's not going to get lectured or have to deal with my pain. So she wouldn't get chastised basically. Right. Yes. Okay. So after you all uh, come to a meeting and you guys get on firm ground, um, what did you do after that? Like, what did you, did you and her like just make a commitment to each other that, Hey, I'm going to see you through this. I'll see you through that. Well, it was a process of building trust again. You know, there was a lot of trust lost in everything that happens with addiction And, you know, even some of the things that I did. And so we were building trust over time. It was figuring it out as we went. Um, A lot of it was me figuring out how I could stay connected with her, how I could find things about her to, you know, as a mom, it just leaves this emptiness in your heart when you lose your kid. Like they're, you're losing them to drugs. You don't have the same relationship you had anymore. You have to build a totally different relationship. I had to let go of every expectation of her being whoever I thought she was going to be or who she used to be and love her for who she was in that moment, which isn't always easy. So I had to just allow her to be who she was, meet her where she was on her journey and 
you know, I just kept seeing myself like as an anchor, the drugs <laughs> are on one side of her pulling her the other way, you know, all the time. And I wanted to keep that connection so that I was there on the other side so that I didn't completely lose her to the drugs. Okay. So it sounds like you, you uh, got everything. You became real fortified. You're on this side, pulling her this way. And eventually she got to a good place, correct? Yeah, she is in um, rehab now, but, you know, there's just, I don't want to say that there's any guarantees that any of this work we do is going to make them get sober or not. But I do have a story that's really, I think, an important part of showing uh, how important a parent's recovery or any loved one, even though if it's a spouse you're dealing with or something, because um, before she decided to go to rehab, she had called me that morning and asked me for money. And I had to tell her, you know, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give you any money, but if, because I know it'll go to drugs, but if you're hungry, I'll call and order you a pizza because she was living in a different state. And um, she said, I know that you think all my problems would be solved if I went to rehab right now. And I said, you know, I'm not saying that. Um, I know that when you're ready to go to rehab, you can call me and ask me and we'll, I'll be there for you. I had a place picked out already and everything, but I just don't push that on her because it has to be her decision. Correct. So I hung up the phone with her that day. You know, I said, I've got to go. I'm going to go to the gym. I called my friend and cried on the way to the gym and was like, I'm so sick of saying no to her. I don't know how much longer I can say no. Like, when is this going to be over? I did my workout. And then at the end of the workout, she called me and asked me for the number to the rehab. And she called them and she got, you know, they said, you can come right now. So I was on a plane that day <laughs> to take her to the rehab. But the most important part of that story is that what if I had not said no? Like, what if I couldn't sit in my discomfort in that moment of telling her no, and I had given her money? She would have been able to go get her next fix. What if I had not been able to sit in my discomfort of telling her no, and I had lashed out at her and been mean to her and made it her feel unsafe to call me and tell me? Or what if I had lectured her about rehab? There's all these things that could have been different in just that one phone call. And I just, it's like that, that, that phone call to me is the perfect example of why every no is worth it. Why, you know, sitting in my own discomfort and learning how to deal with that is worth it. Why it's just so important to maintain that connection that could have gone wrong in so many different places. And now she had to be ready and she had to be willing to do the work. And I, you know, I'm only focused on what I did right in this situation. She had to do a lot of things right too, but it's just to me, the perfect example of why a parent's recovery is so important. Okay. And I, and I like that, that discomfort that you're talking about. You sit in that showed her in some way, we don't know exactly what way, but it showed her that she can break the cycle of what was happening to her. And, yes. and, and um, that's the main thing that I, I like about your message and like in reading in uh, some of your passages and different things that I've looked up on the internet, I was really impressed with 
how you are so calm about it, you know, like you can just see from how you, how you've written things out, how calm you stay about things. So here's my next thing that I want to ask you. Um, you said the education part, what type of education did you go out there and get to get you into this mindset, this whole new focus that you have? I've read a lot of books and I can share a list of those books with you if you want to share them with your listeners and, um, you know, just different books about codependency and really understanding um, like what addiction does to a person's brain so that you can understand you don't take it so personally. Once you understand all of the levels of things that are happening with somebody who is struggling with addiction, it makes it a lot easier not to take it personally. I, um, like I said, I researched articles. I looked at what was happening in other countries to see how they were handling it, what worked. And I went with that felt right to me with a life coach and this life coach how we have, um, we have a thought, it releases a chemical in our brain that creates the feeling that we feel in our body. And then we take action from there. And so really understanding that and seeing how I had done so many things in my life to avoid uncomfortable feelings and seeing the similarity of how somebody who struggles with addiction is really just doing the same thing. They're just trying to avoid their discomfort as well. It's just that the things that I did to avoid my discomfort were more socially acceptable. And so seeing those similarities and really understanding things helped me to have so much more love and compassion in the situation and um, just create my own approach to it. Okay, and with this approach, um, you have many facets of uh, how you help people. Um, you have a website that people can go yeah. to to contact you. And what is that? My website is heatherrosscoaching.com. And there are blog posts on there, you know, years of what I've been writing. And um, there's, you know, uh, I have a free guide in there. It's um, three steps to stay sane when your child is abusing substances. So people can sign up for that. And then um, there's ways to sign up for calls with me if people want to consult to see about working with me. Okay. And that was another thing. I, I was looking on my iPad because I got it right over here to the side <laughs> of it. Um, if, if you click on it, and this is her website, everybody is browser friendly. So, you know, I'm a Apple guy. I plug them a lot and no, they don't sponsor yeah. me. Um, I clicked on a, a, a green dot or green square and it has home about work for me blog, a Facebook group contact. And could you tell me about how to pronounce the name of the oils? Oh, doTERRA oils. doTERRA oils. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's just something separate that I do to help process emotions. So um, yeah, but mostly I have a free Facebook group for mothers who have a child struggling with addiction where I, 
I'm able to interact more in that group. Um, people oftentimes are, they're, you know, they're hiding. Nobody wants anybody to know they're living in shame. And so this group is, offers a private place. I screen everybody before I let them in the group. And it's just a very private, supportive group of mothers who are all going through the same thing. And sometimes they just need to be heard or they just want to ask me a question. And so we just support each other in that group. Okay, well, some people, uh, I know this sounds kind of foreign. Some people don't go to web pages. Some people don't go to Facebook. Is there any other way to reach you? Can they reach you on Instagram? Can they reach you Twitter? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Heather Ross Coaching. Okay, so they can reach you there and then they can link up and then you'll bring them over to your website and uh, you'll get them engaged with you. Now, um, outside of this, are there any future ventures into anything else? Books? I'm not sure. You know, I've, I've had some ideas swirling in my mind. We'll see. Um, you know, we talked about maybe a podcast or something, but for now I'm just really focused on getting this out to everybody, you know, what, because a lot of people don't think of coaching and somebody who's dealing with addiction. So it's like, I feel like I'm kind of paving the ground for this and getting this out there to everybody as a new way to deal with it to and, a new way, a new resource. And like we said before, I almost feel like you're setting a precedent here, you know, because like when, like I said, I told you that, that my research that I do for my podcast and everything, and it's those two key things, a mother of a child that has addiction that is willing to help someone else. Most people would be selfish and keep all that knowledge to themselves because not saying that they would be ashamed of the knowledge, but people just don't go out of their way to help people that way. You know, someone would just go get a license, whoever, to try to, like you said, to try to mold that child and try to fix them. But you want to step further, you know, and that's one thing that's commendable. You should really feel proud about, proud about yourself over that. Um, sorry about that. Um, next thing uh, I'd like to ask you, if I am a... Um, person that's out here, and I'll use the term addict lightly, but I will just say a person that is misusing uh, prescription drugs, that's the best way I'll say it. Um, and yeah. I have two two parents, one parent, it doesn't matter how many parents, um, and I don't feel comfortable coming to them. Um, I can come to you, correct? Yeah, I mean, if I've had people reach out to me for, uh, you know, even parents who have a child who's struggling with substance abuse and they're struggling with it as well. And I've had them reach out. The whole thing is reaching out to get help, to get, uh, to get into rehab, just find somebody to talk to. There's 12 step meetings. Um, there's so many resources, but yes, if somebody wanted to reach out to me directly, they could, and I would help get them in contact with whatever resource they needed. Okay. Now, without breaking down all your magic that you use to help people, and I'm, I'm calling it magic because we're going to use that as a loose term here, if you don't mind. Um, no. What is, what, let's, can we do one, two, three steps? Can we get three steps out of you? Sure. What's the, what's the first step? So the first step is being willing to see addiction in a way that you have never seen it before. Okay. 
you know, changing your beliefs about it. The second step would be willing to look at yourself <laughs> in a way that you've never looked at yourself before and be, become willing to do the work to see those things. So the addiction is shining a painful spotlight on things that we need to change in our lives. And so it'd be willing to be willing to really look at that. And then the third step would be, you know, really stepping out in faith and doing that work over and over again. The first step is always the hardest. And then with everything, we have to just keep making the decision over and over again to stay committed to ourselves and the work that we want to do on ourselves. And just remember, that's the same thing that we want our child or loved one who's struggling with addiction to do. We want them to be committed to themselves. We want them to choose their sobriety over and over again. And we have to do the same thing for ourselves. We have to keep choosing ourselves over and over again and to keep doing the work. Okay. Now, I'll tell you, um, like I, I, I spoke with Miss um, Ross earlier, or Heather, we're, we're familiar now. Um, yeah. Heather has something very interesting that me and her didn't even discuss Um I'm out here when I find podcast guests, I research you. I'm just like a private eye. You mm-hmm. have an you have an article that you wrote on August 30th, 2019. It is in thriveglobal.com, www.thriveglobal.com. And the headline I'm going to read, and you can just give us a little bit about this, but I'm going to tell you guys before I even tell you the name of this article. Um when I before I even approached you, after I looked you up and read that article, that was the thing that drew me to you. The article is entitled, Why You Have to Give Your Identity as the Mother of a Substance Abuser. With a hyphen, with a hyphen waking yourself up from the fall of your, of your child's substance abuse. And that bit that you wrote there, which is it's not fairly lengthy, but it's nice. With what you wrote there, that like just kind of like just it was revolutionary in in my thought pattern if someone wants to see the proof of who you are i feel like it's in that article very Is, interesting it, how do you yeah, what's your I, take on that i have a very different approach it's very to me empowering because we're so often taught to look at we feel like the answer is always outside of us we need somebody else to change so that we can feel better and my approach is the only way you're going to feel better is if you look with inside yourself and see what you can change and that's where all your power and control is And it's so easy to get stuck in this identity of being the parent of a child who's struggling with addiction. And that defines everything about us. And then somebody says, how's your day? And you start talking about the things that are going on with your child instead of yourself. And so, you know, we have to rebuild our identity. We have to start living in life again. And that's part of the process that I take parents through that three steps that we were just talking about being willing to see addiction differently, being willing to see yourself differently, and then being willing to do the work that it's going to take to get your life back. Because I always say that there's no thank God it's over moment when your child is struggling with addiction, even if they get sober 
there's just no guarantees. You don't know if they're gonna stay sober. We have to learn to provide our own relief. Okay. Okay, now, I wanna thank you very much for being a guest on the show. But there's Thank one you. thing, there's one thing that I do on my show, and this is just part of my show. And I hope you, I know you've already listened, so you're probably already prepared. Um, my guests need to know something about you. We need to know something that no one knows. It can be a talent or it can be a secret. And the reason that I do this is because this challenges people to go a little bit outside of their comfort zone, just like with your with your thought, you know, in what you do, you get people to come out their comfort zone and you help them. So it's your turn to yeah. be on the hot seat. Tell us something. <laughs> um, well, this is something that only people really close to me know. And that is that I collect bird feathers. <laughs> I find them everywhere I go. I've got all kinds of bird feathers. One of my friends came to visit me and she said um, she just thought there were going to be piles of bird feathers everywhere. She didn't see one the whole time she was here but I find them everywhere I go. And so I'm like kind of a bird feather nerd. I get really excited about like, oh my gosh, I don't, I found a woodpecker feather the other day. I'm like, I don't have any woodpecker feathers yet. So <laughs> I'm just kind of a nerd about collecting bird feathers. Okay. Now um, at the end of this, uh, I always ask people to do this one thing too. I need you to give a shout out. There are special people in your life that you may be this superwoman and you may take care of the world, but there are some, there's somebody in the background somewhere. If they aren't here today, they were there yesterday. Who in the background do you want to give a shout out to? Who do you want to thank? Oh my gosh. It's so hard to choose one person because I've been so supported. Um, we but, can go with a multitude. Okay you know, my besties, <laughs> because they're always supporting me, you know, starting your own business is hard, and they're always cheering me on. And my ex-husband is super supportive of me doing this work, even, you know, it started while we were married, and he's continued supporting me, even though we got divorced. And then my family has been so supportive. And my daughter, I, she, she, I needed her permission to do this, to feel good about it, because as much as this is focused on me, it's, I'm sharing part of her story. Okay. Chosen to, I would have chosen something else. She loves that I do this work and she knows that I'm helping other people because of what her and I have gone through. So really, I need to thank her because I would not be doing this if she hadn't said, mom, I'm proud of you. And I want you to help as many people as you can. Okay. And I really appreciate you sharing that story. So at the very end of the show, we do a recap on things. And the thing that I love about podcasts is that we can plug things. Once again, one more time, because sometimes our listeners get a little absent-minded, and I don't mean that any disrespect listeners, but can you plug your website, your Facebook group, every way that they can contact you without giving out your phone number? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my website is heatherrosscoaching.com, and my Facebook page is at Heather Ross Coaching, and my Instagram is at Heather Ross Coaching. It's all Heather Ross Coaching, so it's easy to remember. Okay, and um, for our listeners, she is on the East Coast, so she's East, Eastern Coast Times. And um, obviously, with anyone that helps people out, you know, she's always available. 
I assume. Yep. <laughs> okay. And once again, I want to thank you so much for being on West Virginia Uncommonplace. And hopefully in the near future, we can have you back on because with what you do in life, it's a continued process. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I thank you so much because I feel like your message will help my state of West Virginia because we have so much addiction and it's so, I see families torn apart. I have friends that deal with it on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, yeah. you can go to rehab, but if you don't have strong people in your corner, or at least somebody that cares about you, things will never get better. And you're that person. Addiction's a family disease. Everybody needs help. Nobody has to suffer in silence. And and that's agreed upon. And I want to thank you very much. And we'll talk to you again. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.